is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily on a beautiful day for some baseball. Our uh, WST group night tonight's going down at the ballpark. Uh, shout out and thanks to everyone that got tickets. Looking forward to seeing all of you tonight. We'll uh, set up around in Craft Beer Corner for the start of the game. Section D is where it's at. If you are looking to uh, be a last-minute joiner of the group, um, just when you're getting your tickets, just uh, get on the left field line. But as I say, I believe everybody is in Section D. So that is where we will be at coming up tonight. Um, it's going to be a real fun show. We had a, an awesome, awesome opportunity yesterday to be a part of Mark Stone's Stanley Cup celebration out at uh, with our friends at Breezy Bend Golf and Country Club and got a chance to sit down as part of the event yesterday and uh, do a bit of an interview with Mark on, um, you know, winning the Stanley Cup, bringing it back home, and obviously, uh, you know, what he remembers from the playoff run and much more. So we're going to have that coming up. And also a little bit with the guys that, carry the cup around all summer um there you can see the picture of uh what uh, we got to do with breezy yesterday and again a huge thanks to Corey johnson for um including winnipeg sports talk in the festivities and of course mark stone and his family was uh was a lot of fun and um i can only imagine what it would be like if uh at some point in our lifetimes that Stanley Cup was spending a lot of time in Winnipeg because the home team won it. Um, but anyways, we'll have that for you coming up, and we will talk with uh, one of the keepers of the Cup, Mario from the Hockey Hall of Fame, on uh, what it's like running with that holy grail around all summer. Um, we also will talk with Murata Tesh at The Athletic. Murata's got a really interesting mailbag up at The Athletic. We'll kind of hit on a couple of those um, topics as well. As I uh, get Marat's thoughts on uh, the latest plate of the Jets when it comes to potential offseason moves, now that Patrice Bergeron has officially called it a career. And holy smokes, what a season for the Winnipeg Sea Bears. Finishing up their final home game on Saturday, getting ready to host a playoff game the following week. Head coach Mike Taylor, who we spoke to at the beginning of the season, is going to jump on today in the last half hour. Really looking forward to that. Um, just before we bring in Michael Remus, a big shout out to the sponsors that make this show happen every day. Cool Bet Canada, Princess Auto, Modern Man, Aquatech, Manitoba Battery, Canadian Club, F Apparel, Nick and Nikki DQ, Wallace and Wallace, Vita Health, Consolidated Supply, BP Royal Sports, Little Brown Jug, might be having a few of those tonight, Aikens Lake, Breezy Bend, the Assiniboia Downs, and, of course, our friends at the Winnipeg Gold Eyes will be hosting all of WST tonight. Let's get Remus in here. Remo, we got a heck of a day for a ball game. Hopefully we don't get any big boomers tonight. But uh, it's hot. It's sunny right now. And uh, should be a great night to get together with the WST crew down at Shaw Park. I'm pumped. Uh, shout out to everyone who got tickets. I got my Gold Eyes hat on here. I'm still debating my, my wardrobe. Uh, so we'll see what I come in. This evening, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone at the game. Over 90 tickets sold in the WST section, Section D. I guess if you're listening right now, you want to get in last, absolutely last minute, you could go on our website and grab one. But uh, we said koozies while supplies last. I've laid out 
the appropriate number. Everyone who bought a ticket through our website will get one. Um, and great, again, great weather. We thought maybe there'd be some rain. Uh, there will not be, so this should be a, a great night out at the ballpark. Well, and I've already, already people. Touch, yeah? touch wood about the rain. <laughs> you never know. Okay. Yeah, you never know. I did, Fine. I did pull up the app, and it did say that there were tornadoes possible tonight. So I heard that. When it when it is this hot, there's a chance at some point a storm rolls through, but I'd imagine it'll be pretty quick. Bottom line is we're going to be there early. Six thirty is first pitch. Thanks to everyone that supported the night, and that uh, should be fun. And yes, uh, I'm going through the tickle trunk. Got a bunch of uh, items from our friends at Coolbet will be given away, and we do have a Gold Eyes prize pack, courtesy of our friends at the Fish. So uh, we will have a few good giveaways. But Remo, as I think about this tonight, um, and I was just rewatching the uh, Canada women's soccer game from this morning, and thinking about this evening. Uh, maybe the biggest question is, what are we going to get to eat tonight at the ballpark? That is definitely the toughest decision every single time I go to Shaw Park. Yeah, well, someone was asking me, I think it was Derek Schmidt, he said, is there a list where we could see you? Well, you go to the Gold Eyes website, click A to Z. Look at this, a 1 to 27 concessions. I'm probably in for a popcorn for sure. And you like the barbecue. I've never had that big smoke. That could be an option for me. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, uh, it's going to be some tough. It's always a tough call at the goal at the uh, goal as game. Do they have a Do they have a yard dog there? Well, we they can get? have got the Grand Slamwich. I don't the Grand Slamwich. That's the sixty dollar. It's a yeah. loaf of garlic bread, hamburgers, <laughs> hot dogs, chicken fingers, bacon. Cheese sauce. I'm be hilarious I, if someone did get that. I, I listen. I think after the yard dog last week, we need a, a timeout of any eating challenges. Um, although, to be honest, the food is so good there, it could turn into somewhat of an eating challenge when we go through it. I was thinking about this. I've got a top five actually. I've got a top five as of right now. My late July top five food items at the ballpark um and again i'm going to give a i'm going to give a an honorable mention to the goldie dog which is excellent you got to get that all the way down at right field at um at the at the the, the goldie dog hut um but as they say hot dogs are almost in a different category there are a few different ones they're great certainly that belongs mini donuts i mean pairs well with everything later on in the game. Um, but I'm thinking about more food, that like the actual solid food items. So my fifth item is the noodle bowl from Bodegos. And to be honest, this probably could and should be higher. Noodles are not something I normally get. I would probably not order them anywhere else. I have had them a few times at the ballpark. They're unbelievable. So they do crack the top five. Number four, and it's so great to have them back, is the Salisbury House cheese nip. Last year, it was just the kick and chicken. The cheese nip is now back. And if you are feeling like a burger, I mean, it's an iconic piece of Winnipeg history, the cheese nip. So, I mean, that is, that is definitely right there. Uh, number three is the pierogies. 
And it's actually maybe been higher previously on my list. I think I might have got that the most over the last couple seasons. Um, the pierogi, it's a Mr. Pierogi, I believe, is the uh, is the concession. It's very close to where we're going to be. We'll see some pierogies tonight in the WST group, I guarantee you. Um, nice little thing, a six pierogi, some, uh, some kubasa with it. Excellent. Number two is the butter chicken. Now, of course, Clay Oven is in the ballpark, and they've got that restaurant up at the top of right field. They also do have a concession, and it is always amazing. I mean, I'd never really been a big Indian food guy. Uh, eating butter chicken at the games has sort of changed that. It's number two. But number one, and we've talked about this earlier this year, um, is the barbecue bowl from Big Smoke Barbecue. And I think, Remus, I think I'm pretty much for sure going to be getting one of those tonight. Probably mini donuts as well, and we'll see whether... Well, the, you know, the yard dog last week at the Bomber game was somewhat training for just how much we could pack in. I know one thing. I haven't had lunch. I'm not going to eat before we get to the game, so I'll be able to max out on uh, everything that the Gold Eyes experience has to offer. You know, we ate so much barbecue in Nashville. I haven't I have a craving. It's been about a month since then, so I may lean. I may lean towards that. We'll have to. Uh, could be a game time decision, but again, looking forward to seeing everyone there. If you're there, come. You know, we'll have the uh, koozies to hand out to everyone. Uh, it's gonna be gonna be a great night here. Night, great yeah. July. What July twenty six? Bombers on a buy. Come out and say hello. Uh, and by the way, um, they have more than just the barbecue bowl there. I mean, they do have a couple. I mean, the sandwiches are amazing. And I've been tempted. I've, I'm not a big nachos guy. Some people love nachos. I like the just the regular nachos with the cheese sauce. Like, I don't usually order a big plate of nachos when I'm out at the bar or anything like that. However, the bar, the, the nachos from the uh, the barbecue joint, Big Smoke, um, they could definitely be in effect today. So uh, maybe we'll do some reviews there. We'll get people to bring by their own, but uh, we'll see you tonight. Craft Beer Corner, Section D, Gold Eyes Game, 6.30 p.m. Let's do it. Um, you know, we'll get to the the cup and obviously our visit with Mark Stone in a second, Reem. But first things first, uh, early up today for Canadian soccer fans watching our women try and get an urgently needed three points in the standings after their opening draw, knowing that they've got the host Aussies in the final game of the group stage. And that game did not start out well for Canada. I, I learned something new today, Reem. And I mean, as soccer guy, I should have known this already, but we saw an Olympico goal, which for those that are unaware, like me earlier today, that is when you score on a corner kick directly in like essentially loop it around that's what happened to canada three and a half minutes into the game the star of the irish team had this perfectly placed corner kick where she scored on it and it looked like canada was in real trouble kind of 40 45 minutes in julia grosso did uh, end up creating a goal in the final seconds of added time in the first half i think to allow our canadian women to breathe a little bit and then some big changes were made. Sophie Schmidt, Christine Sinclair come in in the second half. And it was Adriana Leon with uh, just an unbelievable touch and a goal to put Canada up 2-1. to one. And uh, 
I got to tell you, for anyone that got up early and turned it on maybe a few minutes in and saw Canada already trailing one nothing, that was a very scary situation for our women to be in. But uh, a big, big win. One more game in the group stage. And with this win, they put themselves in a pretty good spot to move on. But nothing's guaranteed at this point. Yeah, that was they needed that win, Huss. Uh would have been bad to, you know, start with two losses and uh to go down one oh, you're in a tough spot, especially after not scoring in the first game. But hey, you come out and uh really big second half and we talked about Christine Sinclair last game, didn't start, but uh came in in the second half and uh helped contribute on that uh what on the was it time goal or winning goal? I forget which one here, but um yeah, what a what a performance here. Now it's bounce back. Good pushback there from Canada. Down 1-0. Good pushback. That, you know what? That was pushback. There you go. Well, yeah, that was absolutely. pushback. I mean, hey, their backs were against the wall, and if there wasn't any pushback, it would have ended up being a, a, a very brief trip down under for the women. So uh, I believe it's coming up on Monday morning, Sunday morning at 5 a.m., Confirm that for you, but as I said, we'll get into the weekend and hopefully going to get Brendan Dunlop on in the next couple of days as well for his thoughts on the performance so far. Maybe a bit of a tee up, um, uh, a tee up for the um, for the big game against the Aussies. Um, as I said, Remo, we'll talk about the Cup in a minute, but there was some big NHL news today. Uh, first up, Sebastian Aho gets his monster contract extension with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Canes have been notoriously frugal when it comes to giving out big contracts. They've often made decisions that opened eyes around the rest of the league. This one, though, had to be a no-brainer. I mean, Aho has truly established himself as the man in rally. Uh, you know, Jordan Stahl's the captain. I imagine that Aho probably will be the next captain of this club. Um, but they got their best player inked to a deal for eight seasons, but it didn't come cheap. Yeah, Sebastian Ajo coming in at a cap hit of 9.75 mil, just under 10 for eight seasons total, $78 million. He had 67 points, 75 games. He's 26, actually, today, Hustler. So happy birthday, Sebastian Ajo, number one center, you know, strong defensively as well, plays on their top line. That is the type of guy you want to lock up. And, you know, funny, the you joke, you know, you see the joke on Twitter. It's like, well, how does this affect the Toronto Maple Leafs? But now all eyes still on <laughs> William Nylander and his next contract. Another guy looking something similar, um, Elias Pettersson on Vancouver. So you have to wonder how this affects the market, but... <laughs> Carolina, they're looking to take that next step in the playoffs. They haven't been able to, and they got their number one center now locked up for another eight seasons. And they've had a nice offseason, Huss. They what, they signed Dmitry Orlov. Uh, they just brought back Tony D'Angelo earlier this week. Um, nothing major. We're waiting to see what. Do they try to bring in Errol Carlson? I'm not sure. And the other moves they did, they signed both goalies for I mean, pretty cheap Salaries. They have they have pretty three pretty solid goalies has for uh I don't know, let's see, three point four point plus two, five point four plus one point five. So what? Uh like seven mil for three yeah. pretty good goalies. Uh that's really nice. So I like Carolina 
you know, hopefully the, you know, pop coaching with Rod Brindamore. Um, I think they're, they're poised for a really strong season. Yeah. Um, Doug Phil says Shifley's it's on contract at six, five. It's actually less than that. I believe looks like quite the bargain compared to Aho. Well, dude, that was signed seven years ago. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty hard to compare contracts that were seven years ago to contracts that are uh, done now. It, it does beg the question, though, Remus, and we'll kick this around with Marat. What does Mark Shifley's next contract look like? Like, regardless of where it is. I mean, teams are making these big commitments to players that are younger than Mark Shifley. Um, you know, he's going to be 31 when this new deal will kick in for him. I mean, I know we've always thought that, you know, with the production that he's had throughout his time here in Winnipeg on a deal that turned out great for the Jets, that, you know, there'd be one more massive deal for Mark. I, I, I really do wonder how many years he's going to get and what that term is going to be. Because, of course, next summer, um, I hate to say it, but, I mean, he won't be, like, assuming that he is a free agent next summer and can sign anywhere, They'll certainly be interested, Mark, uh, but I don't think we're going to see an eight-year deal. I wouldn't even think that we'd get a seven-year deal for uh, for Mark Shifley unless the AAV was considerably lower that gave him a little bit more time in the league or at least getting paid, and it made a bit a, a bit more manageable of a cap hit for the team that he's going to. Um, but I'm not sure whether that is a three-year deal or a four-year deal, and... I mean, is there going to be a contract from a team out there that starts with an eight? Uh, it is going to be fascinating. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Just yeah, off the top I'll of give. Your head. I'll give. I think a, a really good comparable um, for Mark Shafley is Nazem Kadri. And the only thing in Nazem Kadri is he had this crazy outlier breakout season at age. It was I think age thirty or so in his last year of his deal with Colorado, eighty-seven points in seventy-one games, and I don't think Mark Shafley has even had. Um, oh, oh, and uh, let's not forget winning the cup. Winning the cup. And Mark Shafley's never big had, part. yeah, that type of season. His best season in points was eighty-four and eighty-two games. So he, Mark Shafley's good for about a point per game. Hasn't been uh, too much above that through his career. And Nazem Kadri became a free agent when he was, you know, just around the same age, around thirty or so. Kadri's thirty-two right now, and he signed this deal last summer. He signed a seven-year deal. For seven mil AAV, uh, forty nine million dollars total, and I think even now, Kadri uh, last year he had fifty six points in eighty two games. I think everyone in Calgary seemed to take a step back, you know, adjusting to new surroundings. Him and Jonathan Huberto. So, like, does Cat does Shafley get the Kadri deal seven by seven? Because it seems like guys aren't really signing for that long, especially guys who are thirty. But I do think if it's I don't know. The Calgary was in a situation where they were kind of desperate. Like, I, who was going up against them? New Jersey at they the time? And, and, and let's not forget, there wasn't many other big free agents out there at that time. Yeah. and there was... I mean, like, next summer? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I know the cap is going up a bit, but the names that could potentially be on that free agent market is some pretty big-time competition for a lot of players. And I think it will be as interesting a free agent period as we've had in a long time in the National Hockey League. Um, now, there will be some extensions. There'll be some guys. Like, I mean, I think we all expect Austin Matthews to be inking a deal at some point in the next little bit. Um, 
but you kind of wonder how far down the pecking order of the top free agents Mike, Mark Scheifele will be is if he is in that spot. And yeah, I mean, is there going to be a seven-year deal out there to start when he's 31 years old? Um, it's going to be really, really interesting. And I mean, I guess, you know, and I'm sure some people in chat are saying, hey, there's probably the chance that the Winnipeg Jets, I, I, I'm still of the opinion that I think they move on. And I don't know if they really seriously get into any conversations about an extension. Um, but again, <laughs> crazier things have happened and things can change. And Mark Shifley is still a valuable asset to the Winnipeg Jets. And that's why he's still a Jet and hasn't been traded for sort of pennies on the dollar, which is what we've, um, I mean, well, listen, maybe that's a, uh, the bottom line is there hasn't been much of a market, Reem. I mean, we were there at the draft, I mean, talking to the most dialed in people in the National Hockey League, and it was weird how quiet it had been, and certainly that wasn't on account of the Winnipeg Jets not being available or not picking up the phone. Yeah, well, you look, so many teams right now are up against or above the cap, and we're going to talk about Toronto that made a move to help them in that area shortly but um, a lot of the contending teams you know, a lot of the contending teams are up against the cap and a lot of them as well maybe don't have you know the Jets are looking they keep hearing the Jets are looking for players that are going to help them win now they got one in Gabe Velarde but can they find another match with a team that can help them in the same area I'm not so sure contending teams are going to want to keep those players and you know, if Mark Shafley was like 26 like Dubois then yeah you could see that but he's again he's on the other side of 30, so like our team's going to be giving up players who are, you know, lineup players for that, or, you know, you're better off trying to get futures. And But the Jets have, you know, we've heard so many reports, the Jets are trying to win. They don't want futures, so they're probably better off, you know, according, in their opinion, holding on to him. So uh, I think he's going to be on the team in camp. If he gets traded, it'll probably be at the deadline, but if the Jets are in a playoff spot, they're going to, again, we talked about this almost every day, but they're going to have some tough decisions with, with him and Hellebuck. And, and you do wonder if they do uh, re-sign one of them just because there doesn't seem to be a, mar- a market uh, to trade for them. And, you know, they haven't been satisfied with the return. And the Jets are going to have, well, their own, you know, that cap space available to pay them. Um, I mean, listen, let's face it. It does take two to tango. And while I am very skeptical that even the organization would want to extend Shifley, I mean, does anyone have any indication that Mark would want to extend here? I mean, I've heard basically the opposite, and we've talked about this with a number of guests on the program towards the end of the year, that I think part of the reason why there was so much smoke about a Shifley trade was I think it was almost assumed that both parties figured a a change of scenery might be beneficial. Um, And if that is the case, then, I mean, I think you are in a position where, you know, for the future of the team, you certainly owe it to see what you can do. But I'm with you, especially if he comes in buys in although uh, listen that happened last year for the first half of the season and we know how the second half of the season went um but listen this is a, a very very important year for mark and if he wants to get the best possible deal that may be available to him via free agency or if a team wants him and trades for him however he's gonna need to be have a great year and he'll certainly need to be motivated and i do think everybody knows that he can score I have a feeling that the market for Mark Shifley would increase significantly, um, you know, if he demonstrated maybe a little bit more commitment to some of the other things that help you win hockey games and certainly keep a, a smile on Rick Bonus's face as opposed to losing it after games the way things happened at the end of the year. Um, but we will get to that. 
coming up a little later on with Marat Atesh. Looking forward to that. Again, don't forget Seabears head coach Mike Taylor coming up in the second hour of the program. Do you hear, Remus? They, they added more seats for the game on Saturday, and it is already sold out. What? Yes. Another oh, sellout. It's crazy. Um, the <laughs> like, demand. Remember at the start of the year when I said that they would average more than the previous all-time high at 4,400? I think I, I did undersell it. They're not just going to average more than 4,400. They are going to absolutely smash every single attendance record in the CEBL now playing in its fifth year. Um, and even I think the most bullish people, David Asper included, I don't think could have ever imagined just how well this team would be supported. And, uh, you know, now they're moving on. And again, you can check the Seabears uh, site for information on this. Um, but they're uh, they're moving on to selling playoff tickets right now because they're already full for the finale on Saturday night. Um, if you are a Seabears insider, I think you can get playoff tickets the day after season ticket holders have it. Um, and I think that's just basically signing up for a list or something like that. Um, but anyways, find that out over the Seabears uh, site and we will be talking to the coach, Mike Taylor, a little bit later on. All right, we're going to talk about our day or evening last night after we finished up seeing the Stanley Cup celebrations and being a part of it. Do want to thank Modern Man Barbershop, though, for the great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Guys, if you're looking for uh, best cuts in town, male grooming services and it all, Modern Man is the spot for you. Eight locations in Winnipeg, including their two newest locations on Pemina Highway and on Plessy Road. Modern Man's got it all for you, dudes. Uh, haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Conveniently located somewhere near you. Book your look and make an appointment via modernmanbarber.com or give a call to the closest one to you. And you can also follow them on Instagram at modernmanbarbershops. Uh, and folks, hey, it's going to be hot today going forward. Why not make 2023 the year you take the plunge? Visit aqua-tech.ca to design your own custom pool. The Aquatech team can provide on-the-spot pricing from designers as well as financing options that suit you. And whole home renovations start with Aquatech as well. With thousands of rentals as their foundation, let them upgrade any space in your home. Aquatech's ready to make your reno dreams a reality. Learn more about design, pricing, and financing options at aqua-tech.ca. Another big weekend coming up, a long weekend around the corner. Summer is here, and everyone's trying to max out uh, their time with their families doing the fun things. Now, all those fun things often take batteries, and Manitoba Battery is your local option for the best prices in town and the best service. Uh, it's that simple. Manitoba Battery, whether you need a boat, a camper, a lawn tractor, Sea-Doo, ATV batteries, pretty much anything you can name of, Manitoba Battery's got the best prices in town, beating the pants off the big box stores. And even better, they'll save you time, which is very valuable right now, by delivering it to you anywhere in town for free on any purchases over 60 bucks. It's that simple. Get on over to manitobabattery.com. You can see everything that is available to you there. And as I said, they'll deliver it to you anywhere in the city of Winnipeg. Same day if you get that order in around now at the beginning of the Winnipeg Sports Talk Show, and you can always visit them over at 1026 Logan Avenue. 
And hey, a big cheers to our friends at Canadian Club. Figure the uh, we had such a great time at the Bomber game with the Canadian Club folks last week uh, and enjoyed a few CC and ginger in cans. Hugely popular at Bomber games and now available at your local beer vendor as well in 473 milliliter cans. And of course, the entire family of Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, Canadian Club, is available at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. All right, coming up is our chat with Mark Stone. And um, Remo, it, it really was a great event yesterday and very cool to see a lot of young kids and families get a chance to get their picture with the cup. And i got to say, Mark Stone was very gracious with his time. He must have just stood there shaking hands, signing autographs, taking pics for the better part of about two and two and a half hours before he sat down with us. Yeah, that was a really cool to be a part of. I don't think I've ever been at something like that. Um, Shout out to Corey from Breezy for having us and, and feeding us as well. But everyone crowded around very Great organized. Burger. Yeah. You had, and yeah, DQ Nick was there too, Hus. Uh, feed, he fed us too. Had some Dilly good bars ice, for all. Some good ice cream. But um, yeah, they had the cup there and you had a number. You got up, got your picture. Mark was, seemed very generous chatting with everyone. People got a chance to look around at all the names. You know, they do have the Golden uh, Knight's name on there. But, um, you know, it was a nice celebration, and you were talking to his dad as well. Didn't mention <laughs> His dad was funny. Yeah, didn't bring up that I, I thought they showed him too many times on TV during the Jet series. Thank you. Well, well, actually, <laughs> I did bring that up. Um, oh, yeah. He introduced himself to me, and I said, oh, it's great to, great to meet you. And then I said, I probably should have recognized you with how much you were on TV during the Jets Vegas oh, series. Oh, said that. <laughs> That's the first thing I said to him. Uh, he laughed about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, listen, proud dad moment. And um, certainly Mark had, uh, I think, one of uh, the great days of uh, his life. And, um, you know, we were asked to come and be a part of the event and do a little bit of an interview for everyone that was in attendance. Um, but the CTO rolled with. We got my things mic'd up, and uh, we figured we'd uh, play it for you right now. Now, listen, there are – I believe this is a group is a very small minority – but if you are still triggered by round one of the playoffs or the fact that there's all these Manitoba guys on the, on the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights, um, I'll, I'll just give you a trigger warning. Um, some of that will probably come up in this, and um, I think for the most part people are happy that these guys are uh, here bringing the cup back home, uh, although we all know that the, the best celebration <laughs> in this city with the Stanley Cup would be for uh, a Winnipeg Jet Cup at some point. But uh, this year, the cup belongs to the Vegas Golden Knights and Winnipeg native Captain Mark Stone had his big bash yesterday. I know we're going to the uh, Children's Hospital this morning, I believe. Uh, but we got a chance to sit down at Breezy Bend Country Club in the midst of everything to talk with Mark Stone about winning the cup and not bringing it back home. Mark, first of all, congratulations again. Uh, Thank you. How cool is this back at Breezy with Auggie's Holy Grail? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, probably didn't think I'd do it playing for a team in Vegas, but uh, <laughs> here we are. Um, been here since, like, my dad's been a member here for, or somewhat of a member here, I guess, for 40 years. And I've uh, been coming here since I was uh, a little guy, so uh, pretty special to be back here. You know, it takes so much um, to become a champion, and you've been through a lot. I I'm going to ask you personally, this season, I mean, back surgery coming back. Can you tell us a little bit about the ups and downs that led to 
that great playoff run and not, how sure were you even that you were going to be able to be a part of it? Yeah, I mean, having back surgery is not that great, but um, <laughs> uh, our team was good. Uh, they played good uh, while I was out, and uh, I knew I'd be back just in time to uh, beat the Jets in five. <laughs> yeah, you had to, had to throw that one in, huh? Tell us about that series, though. I'm interested because, uh, I mean, certainly Winnipeg Jet fans saw that first game and saw some of the best that the Winnipeg team had to offer. Needless to say, you guys stepped it up afterwards, but... Uh, Take us through what was the reaction in the room after game one, the way things went on all ice? Um, yeah, it wasn't great, was it? Uh, but, the, you know, I came home, kind of laughed with my uh, my wife. Uh, maybe it was going to be a, a short playoff run for us, but uh, um, we turned it on pretty good. And uh, they really looked back after that. We never faced any elimination games and uh, went pretty easy for us, actually, didn't it? <laughs> well, it was the, as easy as it could be winning 16 games to get into sports and toughest trophy. Um, I am interested, in, though, in the... Uh, it's funny, pushback was a big word from Rick Bonus. You guys had pushback then, as well as in the Edmonton series. What is it about the men in that locker room and the team that you guys were able to come back from disappointing games, disappointing moments, and... Uh, reassert yourselves as the team that ended up standing on top um oh man there's a lot of ups and downs right in the playoffs um that's just the way it is uh we were fortunate that we had a bunch of guys that have won Stanley Cups before um until we've done it you don't understand how hard it is and uh um pretty calm rooms just kind of felt like we were always going to win uh we just never felt like we were going to lose other guys since the way it was uh even against Edmonton just never felt like we were going to lose well, I, I, yeah, <laughs> and you guys did that. That Edmonton series was something else. I mean, uh, you're going up against a, a player unlike any other. Um, tell us about the challenge of the Oilers, but also particularly in your spot, often facing off against McDavid, knowing what he's capable every time he's on the ice. Yeah, I mean, no one's matched up with McDavid. Um, kind of got to just take your turn, hope for the best. That's, that's the way it is. Um, if you can hold him to two points a game, you're, you're usually pretty happy. Uh, but that whole series, the same thing. I, I never thought we were going to lose. Um, you know, obviously, in that game five, that was kind of the turning point. Petro tried to chop Dry Seidel's arm off there in the uh, in game four, so we lost him for game five. But um, once we won that game, I, I know it was over. You know, it, it really seemed, I and mean, we saw this in spades in the Winnipeg series, but throughout. Um, a team that you know listen you got a couple big money players yourself and jack eichel but <laughs> you know hey it's, it's, i'd rather be that than the other guy <laughs> um, but you know what i'm saying it, it, this was uh, i mean top to bottom i mean hell even eden hill at one point was what third or fourth on the goalie depth chart and everybody's stepping up and and really bringing their best at the best time of year yeah i mean we had four we we're fortunate enough to have guys that that may <laughs> Solid cap, right? You got guys who make a little like Brett Howden just had his um, party on uh, Sunday night here. Um, yeah, a guy who was uh, unsung hero. You got out of those kind of guys. So, um, but at the end of the day, everybody kind of stepped up. Our goalie was great, defense was great, forwards were great, coaching was uh, we needed. It was awesome. Uh, everybody kind of bought in. Uh, Ownership uh, management uh, gives a chance to win, and uh, we're able to pull it off. Uh, I don't know if you're—I uh, mean, if there's anything other than a few different things going your way, but this has been an incredibly competitive team. Well, since the first year they were in the National Hockey League, um, since you have been there, 
can you look back at this year's championship squad and identify what maybe the difference was that put you guys over the top as opposed to some other really talented teams? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, our GM has made some big moves. <laughs> Traded away a lot of my good friends uh, to get better. Um, added some big pieces. I don't know. Everybody wants to play in Vegas, so uh, we're able to get those big guys. Um, and our goalie was good, right? Our goalie played really well. That was our question mark. And uh, we had good D, good forwards. We missed the playoffs last year. Um, everyone kind of wrote us off uh, into the sunset. And I laughed at how long the rebuild was going to be. And, uh, and then we got this guy right here uh, a year later. <laughs> uh, Mark, you mentioned Kelly McCrimmon. You guys go way back. Um, you know, in a, in, a, in a day where you got the cup back home, he, of course, just had something in Brandon yeah. with it. Um, you ever reflect on your relationship but as to where it started in the Western Hockey League and yeah. how it's ended up? Yeah, it is. I mean, not a lot of people wrote, uh, wrote me off when I was younger. My dad wrote me off uh, a lot of times, too. Um, but, uh, I don't know, we almost got Team Manitoba down in Vegas, so uh, a lot of people there. Um, the you know, guy you work with, Gary Lawless, is working for us. Uh, doesn't just doesn't just start with uh, the players. It's uh, management, uh, uh, media side of things. We got a lot of Manitoba people, so I uh, almost got a team Manitoba down in Vegas. Well, we often joke about the Manitoba mafia running yeah, things there with the Vegas Golden Knights. But um, I imagine that must make it even cooler. I mean, we were talking to the guys that are carrying the cup around. They might need to never mind a hotel, like, uh, you know, get a, a ride share, uh, rent share for the next little bit, because, of course, this cup is going to be here in Manitoba for a good portion of the summer. Yeah. Um, and it does speak to the sort of player that, um, you know, was on that team. And certainly Kelly McCrimmon's got a heck of a good eye for talent coming out of this province. Yeah, I mean, if you play for the Wheat Kings, you get a good chance to play for the Vegas Gold Knights. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> and say with all uh, the... Uh, Western Hockey League, we got so many guys that uh, come out of there. Um, just shows the, the character that's uh, around uh, the Prairies, right? And we got a lot of guys from Saskatchewan as well. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Uh, I love living there, love flying there. Um, ownership's been great. Um, Kelly bringing me down there. I uh, wouldn't have trusted uh, anyone uh, as much as I trust him. So uh, I had a chance to go there. It was pretty awesome. Uh, Mark, I'm sure at a time like this where, you know, you're on top of the hockey world, you're rolling around with the cop, people are lining up to have pictures and sign autographs. I know you went by your childhood home today with the cop. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, obviously this is special to share it with so many people, but on a personal level, I'm sure this is something that you've thought about your entire life. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to plan it, right? Um, got to go back to Keith Bodley, which was awesome, and then swimming by Westwood Collegiate. Um, and then the childhood house that me and my brother uh, only knew, uh, we swung by and we were fortunate uh, that the, uh, the new owners were sitting on the patio. So we uh, were able to get some pictures in front of there, which was awesome. They were super appreciative. They actually had two of my brother's, uh, my brother and I's sticks that we left in the furnace room there. Um, so we were able to sign that and uh, it was pretty cool. You know, it, it's so clear when you talk about your team and that run that you just finished ending up with this. Um, that you've got a lot of personal confidence. Your team was built on confidence. But um, have you always had that? I mean, you weren't a guy that was picked in the first round. You mentioned there was a lot of people that doubted you. Um, and yet here you are right now. And how much is that uh, coming from uh, from your roots here in St. James just down the street? Oh, for sure. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't think I was pretty good <laughs> growing up. Um, you know, but I mean, you've got to be humble too as well. My dad. Uh, I was good with that. Told me I wasn't as good as I thought I was a lot of the time, which helped me get to where I was. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, I'm super proud to, to be from here. Um, super proud to be back here with this uh, beautiful trophy uh, sitting here in front of me. I uh, still can't believe it. My name's on it, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to be from here for sure. You guys uh, blew the doors off. Um, blew the doors off the Panthers in the deciding game, and <laughs> it was essentially a victory lap in that third period. What uh, what was it like being on the bench? What was it like for you as the captain, knowing that in a few minutes you were getting your hands on that thing? Honestly, I think the hardest part of the cup run was in between periods of the second and third, <laughs> trying not to laugh and uh, <laughs> smile or trying to stay serious. Um, we kind of knew that we were, uh, the game was over, 6-1 going to the third period. Um, made it 7-1 early. Uh, it was hard to play that last uh, period, to be honest with you. Um, head was kind of going all, uh, all over the place, but uh, that fire buzz, final buzzer rang. I, I think the celebration would have been just the same if we, we won in double overtime, so um, it was awesome. Um, you, uh, Of course, you're the captain of the Stanley Cup champions. Huh. You're the first one to get that cup in your hands. Yeah. What, were, what were those moments like before you were handed the Stanley Cup? And uh, Do you have any memories of what you were thinking when you raised that thing in the air? Um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Uh, going up with Gary. Um, said a couple nice things. Uh, I know a lot of people boo him, but he's a nice guy. Uh, and he said some nice things. And the first thing I thought of when I grabbed it was to make sure to take all steps to get off the carpet and uh, to not trip. So um, I think my, my cup raise went smoothly. I think anyone that's been to uh, the home of the Vegas Golden Knights knows that uh, plenty of options and opportunities to have a good time. How was, uh, <laughs> how was the night? The first night uh, with the cup, uh, tell us a little bit about where this beauty made it to uh, in the hours afterwards, the Vegas Golden Knights were crowned champs. For sure, I, I think obviously being in Vegas, people know all the strip and everything, but the best part for us was being in a locker room, uh, celebrate with teammates, we had some families come in, our um, spouses come in. Um, that's the best time, I think, when you're you're in there and you just battle with all these guys and then you can just let loose. You don't have to play another hockey game for another couple months. So um, it was pretty fun. Um, one of the better celebrations I've ever had. Well, my line, it was the best celebration I've ever had. Uh, I guess the only thing to do is try to do it again. Um, uh, you'll be back there. I mean, we know that there's a hell of a hockey team there and pretty much all of it's coming back. I have to ask you, though, um, you know, you've been in the league for a while. There's been plenty of different off seasons. This would be the shortest off season, I'm sure. But uh, mm. how much different is uh, the, the off season, the summer, when uh, when you're a Stanley Cup champion? <laughs> Everyone was saying, getting tired of smiling. But when you look at it, it's hard to hard to not smile. So, um, but yeah, it's been short. Uh, what are we a month, month and a half uh, since we won, and um, we got another month and a half until we got to get back to work. But um, that's what you said. Winning's contagious. Uh, we want to do it again. Um, you know, the only way to uh, do this kind of stuff is to win. Win it. So hopefully we'll be back uh, in the same spot. What is it? July twenty something, twenty fifth. We'll be back here next year. We'll play. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There's uh, a lot of appreciative people here today. You brought here. You know, you made this city and certainly your community and. Breezy Ben, really proud. Uh, congratulations again, Mark, on the incredible season, an incredible Thank victory. You. And uh, as they say, we prefer you didn't bounce the Jets <laughs> out next year. But uh, hey, listen, it's whoever's in your path, I'm sure. Congratulations again, so and uh, thanks very much. Thank you. Appreciate it.
All right, so there it was, a little sit-down with the Vegas Golden Knights captain and Winnipeg native Mark Stone, who uh, had the cup at Keith Bodley Arena, went by his childhood home, had a, a big event with um, a bunch of Breezy members yesterday and then a private party afterwards. And um, as I say, we'll find out more about where the cup has been and where it's going a little bit later on with Mario from the Hockey Hall of Fame before we bring in Seabears head coach, Mike Taylor. Um, Murad's jumping on in just a couple minutes here, folks. But uh, do got to give a big shout out to our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market, who, of course, have great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, groceries, and Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products, too. Uh, barbecue season's here. Uh, you can't stay long enough. Uh, but there's nothing better going on the grill with those grass-fed Vita Market bison and beef steaks available at all locations. And I know a lot of people are doing some beach trips, picnics, and whatnot. Pop by Vita Health. Their grab and go lunches are delivered t- fresh twice a week. This month, get free a free sap sucker drink with any Vita Market sandwich or wrap. Vita Market, Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Six Winnipeg locations and online, fully shoppable website at myvita.com. .ca. Folks, if you're in the need department for fencing or overhead doors, you probably know that Wallace and Wallace have been the go-to people serving residential and commercial customers since 1946. They've got every kind of fence you could need. Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood. And if it's time to replace your garage door, Wallace and Wallace features Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors, something that'll be perfect for your home. 452-2700 is the number. The Wallace team will arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. And you can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. Guys, how's the closet looking? If you need to up your menswear game heading into the rest of wedding season and fall, you need to head on down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. And if you're in a wedding party, talk to them about getting the fellas done up for the big day at F Apparel, and they will give you a 15% discount for everybody in the wedding party. 190 Smith Street, make an appointment at fapparel.com. You can find them online and make that appointment, E-P-H Apparel. Dot com. Oh, and again, downtown at 190 Smith Street. And uh, hey, great to see our pal DQ Nick, an OG of WST, sponsors of ours since day one. Nick was uh, providing dilly bars and some other delicious ice cream treats for the Selly uh, yesterday at Breezy Bend. Of course, you can get your hands on those dilly bars, buster bars, and all the great new summer blizzard flavors at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, and DQ Neverville. All right. Let's uh, let's welcome in to the program, fresh off one of the most memorable appearances in WSD history, bringing in Fred Penner. It is Marat Atash. Marat, welcome back to WSD and back to the peg. How are you and how was the trip? Hey, I'm doing well. I got nothing for you. I got I got nothing. No follow up on that. Um, but the the trip was uh, trip was great. Spent some time in the uh, in the ocean in a lake. 
had some nice uh, BC area, you know, beers and wines and, and, and dinners and all that sort of stuff. And now I'm back and it's uh, it's a little humid. I don't know where this came from. Yeah, just in time for a night tonight at the ballpark. Um, but hey, it's uh, it's summer in the peg. We can't complain about it. We deal with so much in the winter. Bring it on. Um, you've got a really interesting uh, mailbag that's just up at the uh, at the athletic right now and we'll get to some of those topics um but i did see you tweeting about it uh, i imagine a few few mind benders in the inbox right now as uh, a, a lot of people have a lot of questions um you know on just where this team goes from here and the way that it looks right now on paper and obviously still potential changes that could happen before the season gets going yeah, I feel like summertime in a way, like people always ask me, like, do you still write in the summer? And it's like, my goodness, the questions we get are almost like you you get so much to sink your teeth into at this stage because people want to ask the the big questions, like what about the big moments in franchise history? And so one of the one of the questions that I got this week was about if I could undo any move that Winnipeg Jets 2.0 have made in, you know, from from announcing the team name essentially at the draft to, to coming back and, and, you know, calling Mark Shifley's name to, to write, you know, anything as recent as this summer. And it gives you, it gives you a lot to, to pick at, but also, you know, to Winnipeg's credit, you know, every team makes mistakes. Every team has good things and bad things. I don't know that there have been a ton of catastrophes in, in, you know, there hasn't been a Taylor Hall for Adam Larson coming out of the, the Winnipeg Jets organization or a Marcia so for nothing, or, you know, those types of regrets that you might have. So if you actually go year by year, I mean, that was one that stretched my brain for sure. Um, and I think that the more that you dig into some of the common ones, like, Hey, we should have given up Toby Enstrom because, you know, the draft pick that we gave Vegas became Nick Suzuki and you, you dig into all of that. And then you start sort of poking around and you're like, well, what was Winnipeg's draft list actually like that year? And you're like, well, they actually rated Christian Veselainen extremely highly at that point anyways. There's no guarantee that Winnipeg's walking away from 2017 with Nick Suzuki at 13 overall, even if they keep their own pick. And like you go step by step. And if it's only one move anyways, that's like the puzzling my way through that was just it was an absolute joy. And so I, I had that in two pieces this week uh, just because I liked it so much. Well, I mean, listen, it, it, it opens up the, uh, you know, all sorts of ways to go on some really interesting conversation. And, and it's funny, I spent a lot of time thinking about that too. Um, and thinking about moves that were made, moves that weren't made, uh, I think is, is the other side. I mean, you're right. I mean, most of the Jets' dealings have been very prudent, have been done with the plan. I think if we want to go back and uh, revise history... From my perspective, be doing it would be the things that that weren't done. Um, and again, I mean, for me, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of fans that are like this. I'll never really get over or understand what the hell happened in the second half of the 2019 season. But to me, that was where um, you know a lot of things that were really concerning that I think harmed the franchise for a couple of years started to sort of rear. Um, rear their heads and it made no sense that that team that was so talented that was basically second in the league at New Year's would play the way they did in the second half of the season and almost go into reverse and again 
everything could be different if, you know, Kevin Hayes doesn't take that puck that was going in the net, out of the net, and it's 3 nothing or Jacob Truba. Uh, listen, we can pick it game five in the St. Louis series all we want. But, I mean, to me, really, Marat, it is maybe as an organization identifying and acting more proactively with whatever was seemingly the issue because – I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think, certainly when you look back, I don't think that trading Patrick Laine at that point from an organizational standpoint or even for the team, considering what happened when Dubois came here after the trade, um, solved anything, if you will. Yeah, I, I agree with the sort of like the, the tack that, you know, moves not made or proactivity sort of just pushed down the road a little bit is probably the more ripe area for discussion if you're looking to to rewrite Jets history than, you know, actually picking apart moves that they have made. Because every once in a while, they'll surprise you by getting as much as they did for Andrew Kopp, for example. Like, you know, if you pick, that's a move, for example. I don't know why I'm talking about Andrew Kopp right now. This is, you, you, you gave, let me pivot back as soon as I can. But the reason I bring up Andrew Kopp is because I think he's a player that Winnipeg should have identified much earlier in his career growth as somebody who could have been part of a middle six. And they bar- they buried him on the fourth line. They buried him on the fourth line. Um, by the time that he's talking about, oh, hey, I was shopping for houses. Huss, I don't honestly believe that. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, Andrew Kopp is the expert on Andrew Kopp. But I believe that from all that arbitration stuff, just to get fourth line minutes and then third line minutes, like I think that by not proactively addressing promotions within the lineup, it's not just the young superstars that Winnipeg cost itself over the years. And um, and it's not just Logan Stanley and Ville Hainala right now who are, you know, play me or move me. And they don't have the power to, to, to demand that. But certainly they've asked for that at different stages. Um, but to go back to, to what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, a, an organizational decision, maybe just tell Kevin Hayes not to swipe at that puck or tell Jacob Truba to, to blast that puck around the rim instead of trying to eat it. But I think one of the things I take away from that St. Louis series, you know, it's it's just an emotion now. I haven't watched those games in a while. Is there was this there was this sense of of no quit in St. Louis. There's a sense of professionalism. There was a sense that they were so confident in their game plan that all they had to do was exactly what they were doing over and over and over again, and they were going to get that result. And I never believed that about the Winnipeg Jets in those playoffs. And when I was talking to some of the guys after. I mean, again, I'm interpreting. I'm just I'm, I'm reading between lines and I'm guessing and I could be wrong. But when I was talking to Brian Little after game six in St. Louis, the thing that I was most moved by was the complete lack of shock. You know, there is a sense that what had happened in the season leading up to that playoff round had, in fact, caught up with the Winnipeg Jets. And when stuff hit the fan there wasn't that same belief as in previous years. You know, when Vegas beat Winnipeg in 2018, that team was stunned. So, you know, whatever exactly was happening behind those closed doors, and certainly there was conflict. I think some of it gets blown out of proportion, but there certainly was. Um, you also had injuries with Buffalo and Ehlers and all of that sort of stuff, which is ripe for, it's like addicting when you don't know the exact answer because injuries play a part. The idea of conflict plays a part. The fact that, you know, Winnipeg didn't really write the ship afterwards. You have Blake Wheeler saying to me later uh, the following season that one of the ways he wished he had been better was being a little bit more understanding of Patrick Liney's perspective the previous year as well, without saying exactly what he meant by that. I mean, that is, 
I mean, I, it's not easy to come to one decision or one move specific with respect to that mailbag with that, but it, it makes sense that that chapter of Jets history is still the biggest puzzle as of yet unsolved. Well, and and, and I mean, you know, you know, it's it's interesting that you bring that up with what St. Louis brought to the table in that year and all the way to the Stanley Cup that they just wouldn't be denied, that they would never quit. Um. I hate to say it, and I hadn't thought or tried not to think about Game 6 in that series for a long time, but I couldn't help but think it looking at the no-show in Game Number 5 that, you know, drove Rick Bonus so crazy. I mean, part of, unfortunately, the identity of this team or part of, like, it, it comes with their performances was an absolute no-show in Game 6 in 2019 when they uh, lost, and I know that game says 3-2 on the scoreboard, but... They had absolutely no business being in the game, and it was Brian Little, and it was Dustin Bufflin, shorthanded, I believe, like late in the final minutes that scored a couple goals that sort of put lipstick on a pig. But, I mean, that just was not that – that, that series was over after game five, I guess is what I'm saying. The final game against Montreal Canadiens was very similar. And, again, um, you know, God knows we spent a lot of time talking about what Rick Bonus had to say – um, that, that like that obviously is concerning, and that's not one move I think made here or there, but it does speak to maybe moves that weren't made and things that weren't done to change that, you know, with that level of of, of fight and just competitive fire right till that final moment. And unfortunately, when you look at the way the Jets have exited the playoffs on a number of occasions over the last five years, the final game, the way they've gone out, is something that you know is kind of damning to be frank for uh, a lot of people in that room. I mean, I have room for that. I, I want to be the guy that says, well, hey, small sample size, three games or whatever. But like I was in the building for those games and I know what they felt like to watch. And um, I know what the shot clocks were and I know how overwhelmed and unprepared Winnipeg seemed to be. And like, you know, that Brian Little shorty, I think Matthew Perot set it up as well. So another one of those sort of, you know, glue guy type people from a past iteration of the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, it kind of brings me to, and, and I'm not sure how far, how much weight I can put on this, but I believe there's something there. I, I really believe there's something here. And it's it's sort of the decision that I eventually settled on in the mailbag, if I could undo one thing. It's after that Montreal loss, and again, lipstick on a pig for sure, because Logan Stanley floats a wrist shot, I think it was a wrist shot, by Carey Price, and all of a sudden, like, okay, there's an overtime? Is that how that happened? And, you know, that wasn't a series that Winnipeg, had any right to be in they weren't getting to the middle of the ice they weren't protecting their middle of the ice all of this talk of not fighting for prime real estate in front of Carey Price well Winnipeg didn't ever have the puck they didn't have the opportunity to fight for that real estate or go to the anyway um but after that series like the way that I understand it is that you know Paul Maurice sort of you know he lost that love and feeling he lost that that belief and and he sort of felt like his time in Winnipeg had come to pass and took a few days off to think about it. He communicated it with uh, with Kevin Shevel day off and with Mark Chipman as well. And everybody kind of was w- w- knew that this was a, a decision to be made almost. And, you know, they have so much respect for him, all the things that he'd done for the organization over the years. You couldn't find a better public speaker or ambassador. He had some playoff success. The 2018 run was pretty good. Um, the defensive metrics were usually pretty good. Anyway, you can you. You, you could make a, a nice case for him as an above average coach and a phenomenal ambassador for the team. So they wanted him to be able to do that on his terms, I think. And so they convinced him in my 
take. And I don't know the inner conversations, but from him not wanting to come back, they, you know, get Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon, Paul Stastny comes back. Okay. You hear Paul Maurice talk about it. He's like, okay, that gave me the, the energy that I wanted to like, let's try this again. But just even, I remember interviews on, I was on a California road trip. I think it was October, could have been uh, November of the year that Maurice stepped down and, you know, Mark Scheifele had had just like another horrid defensive game in a row. And I was like, Paul, I mean, what did you think of Scheifele's effort on on this goal against? And I, I can't remember the video that's happening, but I remember the conversation with Paul. And I said, what did you think of Scheifele's effort on that? And he looks at me and he said, uh, I, I don't remember. And like the the subtext of it was like it had driven him mad and there was nothing he wanted to say about it. And let's, let's not go there. And I'm like, I get it, but it was so toothless is that the word that i want it was like it was a problem that you knew you weren't going to solve and you weren't going to solve it in a conversation with me and my again i'm so many interpretations this could not be what was in his mind at all but i took it to mean like he was absolutely at his wits end about solving it in, you know between him and shifley as well and that was a pretty poor stretch of shifley defensive play again a player i, I have some confidence in and a lot of confidence offensively but that I think he had lost that player. And I think that Paul Maurice took the Jets pretty far by putting a lot of trust into Shifley and into Wheeler and was going to go far as long as those two were the twin towers of excellence on that team. But if you run out of Wheeler's elite play because of his age and you run out of Shifley's elite play because his defense starts to go and you know you have other players who have reasonable cases for bigger roles, Patrick Liney. Nikolai Ehlers, et cetera, like you can't hold on to that forever. And I think that you can celebrate the very many good years and the good times and all those sorts of things and also come to the conclusion that they held on to him for too long. And I think that the Winnipeg Jets, as they prepare for this next season with Shifley's future, not quite certain, Connor Hellebuck's future, not certain at all. You know, I think they'd be so much further ahead if you had a Rick Bonus type a year ago and not this spring talking about pushback and a year ago changing some of the leadership dynamics as well. I just think that that's one Winnipeg tried to hold on to a good thing well beyond the time that it was good. Marat, we, um, you know, we were kicking this around at the start and obviously there's been a ton of talk about Mark Shifley and whether he's going to be here, whether he'll be elsewhere. Um, but I want to look ahead to next year. Um, what, what do you think of Mar- Mark Shifley's next contract looks like, regardless of where it is? Let's assume that he makes it, to, he does not sign an extension, and Mark Shifley is available to the highest bidder next year as a 31-year-old. Obviously, this season is going to play into it, but let's assume that it's the same player that we've seen. Very, very talented offensively, around a point a game, whether he gets 40 goals or not. Um, the production is still there. In a, in a free agent market that will have a little bit more cap space, but I think way more competition with guys that are coming to market next year. What do you think that looks like? Yeah, I that's a great question. And I think about it without really a sense of knowledge on it. And I think, you know, I look at a 31-year-old player and at aging curves and what the NHL seems to have learned about them in recent years. Like, I think, you know, if you compare it to when Blake Wheeler signed from 33 to 38, I think it was, you know, I think that the NHL has advanced quite a lot and the Winnipeg Jets would probably, or other teams, pardon me, even the Jets would be hesitant to, to put that kind of length onto a, even a Mark Shifley contract at 31 years old. 
Um, at the same time, I think when you have that kind of offensive firepower, you're not you, you're not limited to a one or a two year deal either. I mean, just because a contract is inefficient doesn't mean that player can't help you win. So while I think that like if he's 31, I'm not looking at a six or a seven or an eight year or a six or a seven year deal to get him into his late 30s. I think that's maybe a little extreme. I think he's too capable offensively for uh, for a one or a two year deal. Like maybe there's something in the four to five year range that pays Mark Shifley a number in the eights or something to that effect, eight and a half, a high eight sort of deal where he's getting paid quite a bit. That'll probably be an inefficient contract by the time he's 34, 35, 36. But he can at least say that he got his payday after being so underpaid as a Winnipeg Jet for so long um, at just over $6 million for that point per game almost every single season um, and the phenomenal offense that he's put together. He's going to be a really good case study because the lessons about aging curves and all of that sort of stuff should apply to exactly the age that will probably be the heart of this next contract. But at the same time, it's not having the most efficient contracts total on a team. It's having the most overall talent. And I think that there are teams who could overpay a Mark Shifley a little bit and be like, well, hey, he's helping us score. And that's completely fine for them. Yeah, I, I, I'm sort of with you as well. And, I, and Remus brought up an interesting comparable with age was Nazem Kadri. And, I mean, Kadri was coming off a career season. Um, he also proved to be a very important player on a Stanley Cup run. And um, recency bias is real. And having a, a proven commodity of a guy that for once helped his team in the playoffs as opposed to didn't kill them like he had in the past, I think helped him out. But I'm sort of with you. I mean, the Kadri deal was 7 by 7 uh, I think that this next contract is probably more likely, maybe more than the seven that Kadri's getting, but I think the number will be dialed back as far as the term of the contract. And we're probably looking at something maybe in four or five years, but probably in excess of that seven number. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. And I mean, I'm really like, you know, getting senses almost through media more than through through management in teams across leagues when I have Mark Shifley conversations these days. But like, I think public perception is a little bit down on this guy and, you know, whether it's because of injuries or the suspension at the end of seasons or the, you know, the reputation of being, you know, defensively porous, even when he's outscoring his defensive issues and helping the team. Um, or maybe, you know, the, this sense that Winnipeg's room must be in, in absolute arrears and like, maybe he's, to, to blame like there's there's a lot of hearsay and a lot of a lot of people who are probably underrating what he is as a hockey player and I think that is the exact opposite of Nazem Kadri who I think a lot of people wanted to believe like a guy that edgy like if he ever figures it out that's the that's the myth that you want to believe in with Nazem Kadri even even when I think some of his issues were over stated early but like you want to believe when that guy figures it out he's such a pain in the butt to play against he's so talented he's so all that sort of stuff he's going to help you win put you over the edge he'll help you replace Matthew Kachuk or whatever but that really was just one of the best years that Kadri could possibly have ever had for his for his perception league-wide I think people might be sleeping on Jets commodities right now on it on just because Winnipeg has underperformed and you've got bonus saying what he said 
And I believe Paul Stastny, too, at the end of his Jets tenure, when he said that it wasn't as if everybody was playing for each other. And, you know, I think that may have been a dig at, at, at Shifley during that particular season when Shifley more or less tuned Dave Lowry out, as far as I understand it. Um, but the guy's still very good. Like the offensively, you know what I mean? So it's going to be fascinating. I think we've landed on the same thing, you and me, where it might be a shorter term, but he still gets his meal ticket a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and and I mean, like, I'll just to echo what you just said, I mean, about Shife. I mean, we were all in Nashville. I mean, I probably had conversations with 30 or 40 different people about what they're hearing about Mark. What, and the and the sense that I got was twofold. Um, and I think it speaks to why the market was so quiet for Mark. I think for sure his reputation did take a bit of a hit and people know that, hey, when the guy scored a lot, but what the heck's happening in Winnipeg? He's a huge, huge part of it. Um, I think there were some, there are some questions about, you know, what sort of a a, a player he brings I- into, you know, a dressing room and as a leader and as a guy, is he going to be doing everything it takes to win or, you know, is it more about, is it more about him? Obviously, that didn't help things. But the other part of it, Marat, and this sort of ties into the contract bit, I think there's been so much talk about how much he's been making for the last few years. There certainly is a sense, whether it's fair or not, that under his new management and new agency, that they are going to be looking for a massive, massive deal. And I think that also has to play into uh, the very quiet market for a player that's been so productive this offseason. Absolutely. And I think that's a very real story. And you don't have to you don't have to paint Mark Shifley in a bad light for, you know, contractual frustration to be true. I mean, look at his production over his tenure of this contract. It's not even close to um, it's not even close to a six million dollar valuation. You know, the types of offense that he's put together has been so much more than that, even in the years when his defense really went out to lunch for extended periods. And, you know, there have been offensive performances that gave him value at $6 million. And when he was scoring and Winnipeg was better rounded and he was just dramatically outscoring opposition as well, like, if you, in any job, in any walk of life, spent that many years, like, being underpaid in a way where you can see what everybody else who does what your job is gets like you see their performance you see their paycheck like this is all public information and you're doing this year after year after year of course you're gonna want more like there you can be humble and want more than that you can be a wonderful person and community member and all those sorts of things so it doesn't have to be anything to to discredit shifley but the the idea that it's time for him to get paid and he's probably been leaning offense at uh, actually that's that's a stretch bro. I can't say what's in his head but like it would make sense to me that his offensive performance is what's going to get him paid um I just think that that has to be one of his biggest priorities at this part of his career unless he's already thinking of this as the back nine of his career and it's just like sign with a contender and hope for the best uh, but I think that he's young enough where maybe that's not necessarily the case. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, if that is the case, we've heard that a number of times, it really is too bad. Because first of all, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. I mean, the CBA is the CBA. There's no renegotiation. It's not the NFL where you don't show up at training camp and they rip it up and give you a new deal. So if you're spending a lot of time being pissed off or worrying about something that happened four or five years ago, nobody wins on that. And I mean, I didn't hear... 
anything about Nate McKinnon when he was playing on that $6 million deal would be a big deal. Hell, Brad Marchand, let's talk about Brad Marchand, just being a huge part of a team that was historically good, has won a Stanley Cup, he's an all-star, he's done everything. Brad Marchand has two more years at 6.125. That's going to take him to 36, 37. He's played his entire career in and around that number. I've never heard one thing, and I certainly know there's no one that's ever questioned what that guy's bringing to the rink. At a certain point, and I mean, this goes for life in general, you need to worry and focus on things that you can control. And um, it, it would be too bad if that was something that, you know, sort of, you know, was part of a, a, of a bigger problem when there's not anything anybody, frankly, could do about it. Yeah, I mean... I agree with that. And at the same time, like, I guess I'm falling into Shifley defense here, but I think in terms of what we know about his off seasons and what we know about his dedication to, I mean, Adam Oates has proponents and critics in the NHL circles in terms of a skills coach. And, you know, there's some that say that he preaches a bit too much self-preservation on these athletes parts. And there are some that say it's a little bit too offensively minded or what have you, but you know, Shifley's dedication to training with Oates and doing all the extra things and like the uh, amount of off ice tech and stuff that he's invested in, in terms of body recovery and all those things, sorts of things. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say by listing off all of these things is that I think it's possible for him to have a less than Marchandi-esque opinion about his salary while also controlling his controllables to to the extent that he can prepare himself to play hockey and um and, and maybe it's maybe it's the perception that those two things are out of whack that almost makes him more compelling as a character as a person um you know if you're if you're trying to be like what's you know what makes Mark Shifley tick sort of deal um I think that's all just very fascinating stuff to have like a little bit at both of those edges um if you want to keep going on on him Jed cut me off here but you, you you've named some Bruins now and I'm like wouldn't Boston with Bergeron on the team and Marchand a big part of it and Chara once upon a time not have been one of the perfect places that a Mark Shifley could have played where he was like one of many elites and maybe a disproportionately small voice amongst them as well to sort of learn from these cup winners and all of that sort of thing. Oh, for sure. And that and that's why, I mean, I've been so... And I will always be fascinated as to how the rest of his career um, goes. And, you know, assuming if he does end up in another spot, the second place he will have played, you know, how he fits in with that group, what his role is in that group, how he embraces it. Um, Because, I mean, it's not a talent thing. (laughs) I think we all know that. Um, But I think everyone, you know, especially a guy like Rick Bonus would agree, there's a lot more there that wasn't there at crucial times that, you know, uh, unfortunately was, um, you know, was something that at times detrimented the, 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 the team's chances of winning and, and, and really succeeding. And certainly we saw that last season. Let me ask you this um, as it pertains to, uh, you know, to Mark, because I mean, whatever, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. There is a good chance that he's going to be coming back next season and it's in his best interest to have a great year it's certainly in the team's best interest for him to have a great year. Uh, Rick Bonus has a ton of experience. I would imagine he'll need to lean on all of that. Um, but if you're the head coach, considering the way things ended and what happened last season and everything that we heard a number of times, 
uh, what do you think the, the, the focus for Rick is when coming back and realizing that, you know, this guy is going to be a big part of your team and you're going to need the best out of him if you want to win hockey games? I mean, that's a fact. Winnipeg doesn't have its second-line center figured out. Mark Scheifele's got to be the first-line center and a productive version of that. And you know what? Like We are, we are convinced he's moving back to center. <laughs> yeah, 100% sold on... Um, oh, my goodness, that would be a fun season of storylines if, uh, if they keep him on the wing. That would be an interesting one. I think he was great there, to be honest. Uh, um, yeah. But... Uh, you know, and honestly, there's a tiny piece of me that says that the Merce Shifley chapter in Winnipeg might not be over. There's a little part of me that still has room for a couple of years worth of extension here that I haven't thrown out. But, you know, sticking to the plot that we've talked about so far, wherein maybe this is this is it and you need the most out of him this season. I go back to Rick Bonus's first line combination for Shifley uh, last season with Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers. And you know that the goal there is you're outscoring whatever defensive issues you have. It's a challenge uh, to play in your own end with those three players, I think, but you can also trust what they do with the puck on their stick to help you spend time in the offensive zone. And those short-term, like the short-term results before Ehlers got hurt, uh, sports hernia surgery and all that sort of stuff, was actually really impressive. And I don't know if that's the most efficient use of those guys' talents, uh, sort of overloading on that on that skill, but if they can outscore quote unquote softer opposition and now you're leaving the heavy lifting to Lowry's line or a line built off of Iafalo and Niederreiter or maybe Velarde centering it or something to that effect and you can sort of spread out the so-called tough minutes, keep Shifley away from them, scoring with Connor and Ehlers, maybe there's some extreme haymaking you can do in that sort of offensive zone starts, always you know in transition, all of that sort of stuff where you're really exploiting those guys' strengths. If it works, I think it could work really quite well. And then that depends on Winnipeg's middle six having success against tough opposition. When there's still a lot of question marks there in terms of what Velarde can do, Nemesnikov, Ayafalo, can Cole Perfetti play set? All of that is still in flux, and it's going to be fascinating. Um, Murata Tesh is with us from The Athletic. Before we go, I want to ask you about one thing. Um, so, you know, we were yesterday, we sat down with Mark Stone in the Stanley Cup, had a great chat with him. It was a great event. And, you know, there is, I wouldn't say it's a large percentage of Jets fans, but there are some that really resent, um, you know, the fact that Mark Stone ended up in Vegas. And, you know, I got talking and thinking about the trade deadline of that 2019 season when he was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights and then signed that monster eight year by three by a eight year nine five million dollar contract and was subsequently named the uh, the captain of the team the, the next year. What do you remember about that? About the, I guess the Jets' interest in Mark Stone, Pierre Dorian being around here. I mean, the way I see it is, I mean, the Jets were certainly interested in getting Mark Stone for that playoff run and would have paid a price to do it. But I don't think there was any realistic possibility that Mark Stone would be offered a contract anywhere near what he got from Vegas or would have that role on the team coming into where the Winnipeg Jets were at that point. Um, but Pierre Dorian did spend some time in Winnipeg. I mean, how do you recall all that going down? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I remember Ottawa sort of entering this sort of, I don't want to call it fire sale mode, but it was clear around the entire NHL that they were shopping some of their assets. And it wasn't just Stone. I think, was it Matt Duchesne who was the other one at that particular time is that the right player but there were a few Ottawa Senators options sort of 
thought to be available. And that's something I dug into a little bit. I wrote a piece at The Athletic kind of early on, maybe it was January, like well in advance of the trade deadline, exploring Mark, Sh- sorry, Mark Stone's fit in Winnipeg with more depth than I would probably give to any one name. But because he was a perfect fit in terms of his on-ice impact for what those Winnipeg Jets needed at that time, uh, and my belief that, you know, as far as right wings go, he is just about the perfect player, especially at that time and for these last several years as well. I mean, I really value the impact that he has in all three zones. Uh, so a, a deep dive off of that, um, I was leaning pretty hard on the on the possibility that, that that would be something Winnipeg was exploring. Did I know the details of any of that? Absolutely not. I don't. Um the Dorian's appearance, I think that we noticed, you know, some lengthy conversations in the press box because there was a Senators game in Winnipeg kind of in advance of that trade deadline as well. And I think everybody was like a little bit of flutter about about that is like, is there something possible here? Um, and then when it doesn't happen and it goes to Vegas and there's that extension, I mean, I think you couldn't you couldn't paint those two organizations in a in with more contrast than in that move there because if Winnipeg had the opportunity to trade for Mark Stone and extend him at 9.5 and make him a foundational piece of their organization for no the heart of a career that was already exceptional and his two-way impact was incredible and his offensive impact was there and they missed it out of a desire to um not to make a splash of that size that would be an abject failure on the organization's part. That would be the wrong bet. The player was too good. The value was too good in that situation. And Vegas wouldn't have cared at all about what its room would be like in terms of trying to absorb a Mark Stone or anything like that. It was too new, too aggressive, and won a Stanley Cup as a result of it. Was that on the table? And was the sort of interpretation you're making that you know, Winnipeg was unwilling to give him that role and that number. I mean, I don't know that. They had just signed Wheeler. They had Shifley. You've got Connor, Ehlers. I mean, all of those players. Um, And I mean, that was the core. And I think we've seen more than any team, they stuck with that core longer than probably many people thought was prudent. Um, Vegas is a team in its second year in the league. They had tons of guys coming off the books. I mean, to me, it just comes down to one simple thing. Kelly McCrimmon, believed in this guy more than, frankly, everybody else in the National Hockey League. And they had that spot for him. He knew what that guy was going to be for him in the Vegas Golden Knights. That was going to be his leader. That was going to be his captain. That role wasn't available here in Winnipeg. And while I think they would have paid the price to get him on a short-term rental, I mean, the thought of them moving heaven and earth to make that spot for Stone as a top-line player for the Winnipeg Jets when you had the guys that were producing at that level, let's not forget this team was a legitimate Stanley cup contender at that point. It just didn't work. And to me, the situations were so different than, well, listen, I understand it's, you know, it's tough for jet fans to see this cup spend half of, you know, half the summer in Manitoba right now. But I mean, if you really think back, there would have been so many other things that would have needed to happen with this roster even if he was like, hey, listen, as long as the money's right, I mean, I'd love to be here. And I don't know whether that was the case at all. To me, the other thing is I think everyone knew that Vegas was going to make a massive push for Kelly's guy, Mark Stone, and that's ended up what happened. Yeah, I I mean, 
I want to qualify all of my rage at the idea in that, you know, I'm talking about if, if that was on, you know, if that was a discussion that happened between Chipman and Shovel Day Off and they had the option to pull a trigger or not and they didn't, I would think that that was a tremendous regret. But I do understand what you're saying as well, that the landscape of that team was different. If I guess I'm just going to be sour today, though. Like, you know, how many years went by between that moment and and Winnipeg trading Patrick Line anyway? You know what I mean? Like this foundational piece of, of, of that that team was gone not too long after that. And yes, it brought Pierre-Luc Dubois and hence Gabe Velarde and all this sort of stuff. But I guess what I'm trying to say, and I don't even know if I'm right, is that what if you are so proactive that you get the best player available and you deal with all of your problems before they become problems? And I think that's really idealistic and not a fair brush to paint that situation with. But looking back and seeing Stone and you talk and just the joy in him and the jokes he's making. And like, I watched a bit of that segment before coming on and it's just like, what, what a scene. And you'd want that for Jets fans more than you, more than any of this else. I just, well, for sure. And I mean, the other thing that we have to think about is the timing of all of that. I mean, this goes back to the second half of the 2019 season when things kind of were going South for the club. And, you know, even on a short term period, like what a difference a guy would have made, um, and maybe that 2019 season would have been a little different. I just don't think that there was ever the realistic possibility that he was going to come back in that trade and be signing an eight-year extension at the sort of money that he was able to get from the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Marat, when's part two of this mailbag out? Because the first one was awesome. Oh, buddy, uh, the one that I commit to the Paul Maurice decision, that's part two. Part one was Saturday, I think. So. Uh- um, here we are. I got to I got to write some fresh content with you. I got a meeting with an editor coming right up too. So uh, I'm still around. Don't you worry. I, I just uh, yeah. We'll we'll see what we got for you. Hey, great to have you back in the peg, man. Have a good one. Uh, stay cool, and then we'll talk to you soon. Right on. Thanks, guys. All right, there is Murat Atesh of the Athletic. We will catch up with the keeper of the cup in a little bit, but coming up in just a second. We're going to talk some Sea Bears. Head coach Mike Taylor coming up in just a moment. Uh, before we do that, a big thanks to our friends at Princess Auto. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Bombers and the Gold Eyes, where we'll be at tonight. And the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West. And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Um, summer is a great time to get after it when it comes to home improvement, working on your property. And our gang down at Consolidated Supply has you covered for so many things you can do when it comes to exactly that. They are the leaders in irrigation systems. If you need irrigation for your property, thinking about that dream putting green in the backyard, they've got the artificial turf experts as well. And, of course, they are the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba for new and used golf carts. But other great options for your property, including hot tubs, spas, and amazing outdoor kitchen options. And, of course, they are the experts and leaders in small engine parts and repair. Pop by and see Consolidated Supply at their new showroom, open to the public at 1395 Niaqua Road East. Or find out more online at cte.ca. Big win for our Canadian women this morning at the World Cup down under. If you haven't already, get on down to Royal Sports and check out the incredible selection of Team Canada soccer gear with the brand new jerseys, tons of merch coming out of the World Cup in Qatar, uh, not to mention Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Winnipeg Jets, NFL soccer, 
and a big shipment of Sea Bears hats just in time for the playoffs. You know where to go. It is the sports superstore in Manitoba, Royal Sports 750 Pemina Highway. And give them a follow on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina. And just before we get ready to uh, talk some hoops, late Jays game tonight. Don't even talk to me about what happened in the ninth inning last night against the Dodgers. But if you are looking for a great spot to get together with your gang to watch the game tonight, and of course, CFL on the weekend, no better place than your local Boston pizza, ice cold schooners, world famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and the latest from the BP feature menu. And if you're staying in, you can always order online at bostonpizza.com. All right, what a season it has been for our brand new team, the Winnipeg Sea Bears. Our next guest we spoke to just as the season was getting going. And uh, who could have imagined what a magical run it's been so far, both on the court and in the stands. Mike Taylor, head coach of the Sea Bears, joins us now. Mike, it's great to have you back on the program. How are you? Doing great, Andrew. It's great to see you again. And, uh, you know, a lot of exciting things to talk about with, uh, with the Winnipeg Sea Bears this summer. Uh, I got to just ask you straight up, how much fun has this been for you over the past couple months? It's been so much fun. It's been a, a dream come true, um, you know, to, to have such a, a great inaugural season, uh, the fan support in the city. Um, to have the team come together and play so well and just to enjoy all the people involved. You know, David's vision, uh, David Asper's vision to begin with, and then, you know, the hard work from the people in the, the front office, Jason Smith and everyone, you know, to kind of get everything ready to play in a short amount of time and then to come out on the court and put together a really good team. It's, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it, and Winnipeg has been fantastic. You know, I mean, we'll get to some of the guys that have been the difference makers for you and what's to come, the playoffs and all that. But, um, and I said this on the program after the first game. I said, listen, like, this is going to be a hit. And I thought I was maybe being a little aggressive saying that the Sea Bears would average more fans than the previous record attendance for a single game at 4,400. I mean, that has been, I was understating it looking back. Um <laughs> I mean, what what has it been like being just a part of the organization to see the way this team has been accepted and, I mean, all these sellouts crowds and the atmosphere for your club every night? I mean, uh, did you have any expectations of what this city might be able to do for your club and what's it been like seeing the support night in, game in and game out? Well, the first thing is, you know, we love the CEBL. Uh, I had a great experience in it last year and with the people involved. Uh, and you had the idea, um, you know, with David's experience in, in professional sports and, and understanding of the city that this could be a really great place. Um, but I feel like, you know, the whole thing has really come together in a great way from, you know, the marketing people that got the, the Seabear logo and colors and uniforms right, the Canada Life Center, uh, which has been the best venue, uh, very professional. And I think that, you know, what we see is Winnipeg is a great sports town. It's a big league city, you know, with the Jets and the NHL here, the Blue Bombers and the great following they have in the tradition, the Gold Eye. And I think what we've done is fill in the missing piece in, in the sports market here. And it's been great for the league. I think that we've kind of raised the standard of organizations um, and again, I'm just most proud that, that we've done it in a first class way. We've taken care good care of people. Uh, we've tried to be, you know, connect with the community. Uh, we've given back to, to the city. And, and I think that it's been a fantastic first year 
on and off the floor. Uh, and we just want to finish it strong and make a great run here in our first opportunity in the playoffs. Yeah, well, there's still more work to do. Finishing up the home schedule with another sellout and an even bigger crowd on Saturday night. And then, of course, the playoffs. Um, has this team exceeded your expectations from when you got them together? Or uh, was this the plan all along, Mike? No, I think, you know, you try to put together a good plan. You try to find players that can fit and play different roles. And I think we've had several guys really play the roles you hope. You know, Teddy Allen developing it into an MVP candidate. EJ Anasike developing into a matchup, you know, advantage guy can create advantages for us. You know, Jelani Watson-Gale has been fantastic in his dynamic playmaking role. Uh, the, the rest of the guys, you know, brought in. And I think what I'm most proud of is that we've done it investing in our guys. You know, there has not been any unplanned additions or subtractions. We've tried to help this, this group of players learn to play together, uh, grow into a team. And I think the connection that they've got throughout these 20 games – has been fantastic, and I think it's helped the fans identify with some of the players on our team. Uh, other teams may try to load up their rosters here as we get to the postseason and playoffs, but you know I believe the investment in people, the investment in players will pay you back during the stress and pressure of important playoff games. Uh, so we're committed to that, that team, the team-oriented approach. Uh, we tried to build up a, a roster of guys that know how to play together, that can they like each other and get along, and I think in terms of uh, that game plan, that blueprint, it, it's worked out really well for us. So uh, I'm just really proud of that. Uh, how um, how different is that? I, listen, usually you see expansion teams um, make a ton of changes when things going on. You guys have basically had the entire group the whole year. Um, how rare is that in uh, in this league? Oh, I think in pro sports, it's rare to you know not be a team that's really actively moving players and releasing players. You know, we tried to make some good decisions with the roster in the offseason, you know, as we built it up. We, we got three guys who had won championships in the league uh, with Michael Okafor in, in Brampton and, uh, you know, Shane and, and Chad with Saskatchewan in the past. We had five of ten players on the roster that basically uh, had played in the league before, knew the league, you know, Teddy in Scarborough, AJ in Guelph, um, along with the, the three champion guys. You know, so we had those guys that understood what was going on and how it worked. And then I think we were pretty good about the, the other positions. When the players looked around in, in the training camp and they saw the players next to them, no one was the same. They were there was everybody brought something different. And I think it helped the roles become clear and guys could appreciate what their teammates did for them. And they would try to do something for their teammates. Um, so I think it all came together like that. Um and we've been fortunate enough to, to just kind of grow it and build it together throughout the season. It's been a lot of fun, um, but, you know, we're just trying to build up our own identity and uh, build up a, a winning team. And, and we, we say put the win in Winnipeg. Uh, this is what we're trying to do as we establish the organization on the floor, off the floor. And like I said, I, I couldn't be more proud of our players and staff. It, it's been a lot of fun working with them throughout the summer. Yeah, You know, what? let's talk about a few of those players. You mentioned uh, Teddy Allen, Teddy Buckets to the fans. Um He's, I mean, he's a scoring machine. I mean, I don't know if there's any other way to put it. Um, how familiar with were you with him before? And um, was it pretty seamless for him to come be and the the go to guy amongst many guys that can uh, can drain him? Well, what stood out to me, you know, we had I have a pretty extensive network, and, and a couple of my friends were really familiar with him. 
Um, and, you know, despite all the ups and downs that a person may have, you know, you try to give everybody a fresh start and treat everybody in a positive way. You know, the thing with Teddy is he loves basketball, absolutely loves basketball, loves to be in the gym, loves to play, loves to compete. And you can see it's natural. It's a talent. Um, so it, it's more about putting him in the right role, building a connection, a relationship with him and helping him be the best version of who he is. One thing that I try to do is I try to let people be who they are and you try to bring everyone together with everyone being genuine and natural in, in their own personality. Teddy's a positive guy. The guys really like him. He's, uh, he, you know, his heart's in the right place. Every once in a while, he get extra emotional. So we've tried to just give him space. And But he's done a great job with the leadership part, with the go-to guy part. And, I mean, some of the games he's had have been record-setting for the league. So he's grown into that MVP, team leader, go-to guy that we hoped he would. Um, and to me, it was more about just knowing that he loved basketball. And, you know, even last year in Scarborough, he accepted his role. He believed he was better than certain guys, but he played his role in that team. So he knew the league. He could accept the role. Um, you know, and I, I have to be honest, you know, he's been fantastic with his teammates this summer. He's been great in terms of being coachable, taking feedback. Uh, and I think you, everyone could see from the way he started the season to where he is, the efficiency just really improved. And that's a testament to Teddy really listening and working on his game. Seabears head coach Mike Taylor with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. You know, I know we talked about Big Chad when you were on before, and we've had a great chance to talk to him on a couple times throughout the season. But I have to ask you about the other Manitoban, Simon Hildebrand, who joined <laughs> us last week. I mean, I'll be honest. and I mean, I, I, like everyone, was sort of new to this league and knew that it would make a lot of sense for this team to, you know, to have some local connection. It's, it's very cool what this league does you know, with young Canadian talent that are playing at the U Sports level. And it made sense that he was the first ever draft pick, you know, as the U Sports Rookie of the Year. But I am I was stunned just at how big of a role he's played on the team. And I, and I don't think that's probably normal throughout the league. What were your first impressions of Simon? And um, how has he earned such an important role on your squad? Well, the first impression of Simon is his maturity. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He picks things up quickly. He works hard. Uh, he's really well-liked and respected by his teammates. Um, even as a 19-year-old, he's got maturity beyond his years. Uh, obviously, the, the job that he did, the season he had with Kirby at University of, Man uh, of Man Manitoba was fantastic this year. Uh, and he looked at this as a challenge. Uh, and we kind of tried to not put too many expectations on him, uh, but just tried to give him a role that he could kind of grow into and, and really establish himself. You know, like any 19-year-old playing with grown men, professional team players, he, there are going to be some ups and downs, but he's really worked hard. Um, I think he's grown in terms of just the, the speed of the game, of reading the game, the experience in our system, the experience playing one-on-one -on -one against some of these great players and, and next-level players that he's played against. So, you know, I think he'll go back to, to Manitoba and have a, a great year ahead. Um, but – the connection with the city was really important to us as a, a, a first-year team. Uh, having Chad, you know, as a first signing, first signed player, and then, you know, with the first draft pick going to Simon, we've really been proud of, of his performance this year. I think, you know, he's really helped us a lot at times. Um, and, you know, he's right in the running for, let's say, U-Sport Player of the Year. Uh, but, you know, you want to give those young guys the opportunity to grow and develop and play without too much expectation. And I think he's really done well in his role for us this, this summer.
Well, it has been a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, uh, you know, he uh, was on with us a couple weeks ago after his big game winner on that Friday night game. And uh, you can just tell how much fun he's having. And he couldn't say enough about his teammates, the coaching staff, and what that's doing for him as a young player. And certainly hopefully we'll get a few more butts in seats for Bison games uh, coming up this year when uh, the university season starts. Mike, I- I'm glad we've got you here because I have tried to uh, – even some of your players weren't entirely sure – how the entire playoffs work. <laughs> so <laughs> can we break this down? Um, you guys are right now tied for first uh, overall in the league heading into this yeah. final game. What's at stake in Saturday's regular season finale? And what does the path to a championship look like for the Winnipeg Sea Bears beyond this weekend? Well, the first thing with our regular season, we are uh, right now we're 12 and 7. Uh, we have one game remaining against Edmonton at home. Uh, there's a, it's sold out. It's going to be a great season finale. The the fans will come out and be fantastic at, at the Canada Life Center as they have all summer long. Uh, before our game, Calgary plays tonight against Edmonton at home, and then Calgary goes to Saskatchewan, uh, and they play Friday. Now, if Calgary loses one of those two games, then we are – the division champions, uh, which would mean we host a playoff game, the quarterfinals on the sixth at eight o'clock. If we would lose and Calgary would win both games, they would have head to head over us and they would finish first and we would finish second. So then we would host a play in game. I believe it's the third or the fourth. I'm not exactly sure which day. Uh, because we're trying to take care of our business and and earn our division championship with a good win to finish our regular season. Um, now, Edmonton and Saskatchewan are battling for that last playoff spot. Now, the league is unique. There is an automatic spot for the Vancouver Bandits who are hosting championship weekend. So even though they finished in fourth place or fifth place, last place in the West, they get the automatic spot And now we're all in the Western Division competing for one championship place. On the East, it's going to be Ottawa or Niagara finishing first, and they will get the automatic spot in championship weekend. Then the second-place team will host the quarterfinal game, which will be the winner of the play-in game. Uh, And right now, Scarborough is finishing strong. Brampton got a good win over Montreal last week, so – you know, those teams are kind of jockeying for position as well. It's been a great summer. It's been really competitive, and it's all coming down to the last game. So, like, you know, our focus is on, you know, earning our spot, taking care of our business, and then if we get some help along the way, you know, we'll adjust to that. Well, you know what? I think regardless of what happens with the surge, I mean, you want to finish strong heading into the playoffs, get a big win, announce yourselves as division champs, and move on to the playoffs. So let's just assume that that happens. You've got this quarterfinal game in Winnipeg. Uh, against another Western team on August 6th. If you win that game, is the semifinal part of the championship tournament, or does that take place in Winnipeg as well? No, the semifinals will be August 11th, and that'll be the two Eastern teams and the two Western teams playing, and then we'll have an East versus West championship game on the 13th in Langley at the Langley Event Center. So, um, you know, let's say, for example, you know, likely like we are able to win the Western division uh, and host that game on the six, that would be Winnipeg's send off, help these sea bears get to championship weekend, you know, fill the Canada life center 
bring that fantastic energy and, and home court advantage that has been there all summer long and, you know, kind of put the, the finishing touch on a, a fantastic summer of basketball here in the city uh, to try to, you know, help us get to, to Vancouver in, in the championship weekend. I mean, it, there's a lot to it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And most importantly, we as an organization are very, very thankful uh, for the support and the energy and enthusiasm we've seen in the city all summer long. Well, it has been so much fun. If you haven't been out to a game, um, you're out of luck for Saturday night because the game's already sold out. However, as Mike just mentioned, um, if you go to the Seabears website right now, they've got the scenarios, but playoff tickets for that weekend, likely, hopefully, the 6th of August, happening right now. I know season ticket holders get their first crack and uh, Seabears insiders and then the general public coming up this week. So if you have not missed, or if you haven't made a game so far this year, uh, better late than never, jump on board. Mike, uh, it has been, as I say, just an absolute blast going to these games, being a part of the crowd there, seeing the way the city's embraced it. And to be honest, I mean, the way your team has played um, has been a big, big part of just um, how much fun it's been following the Seabears this year. Uh, I know the job is far from done, but congratulations up until this point. Good luck on Saturday, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, hopefully be talking about a big, big playoff game on August 6th and sending you guys off to that championship tournament. And uh, wouldn't that be cool to make some history in year number one for this new franchise? That would be a dream come true. Thank you, Andrew. We appreciate your support as well. And, uh, again, this has been a wonderful summer, and we want to finish it strong. Um, And, you know, all the fans that have helped us along the way, we can share it together. Uh, It's been just an absolute dream come true here in the city this summer. Good luck on Saturday night in the playoffs, Coach. Thank you. Good stuff. There's Mike Taylor of the Winnipeg Sea Bears, And again, get to the Sea Bears website if you want to count yourself in for playoff hoops coming to Canada Life Center. And again, final game of the regular season with a bigger crowd, and it's already sold out. That is Saturday night, and uh, a win would officially clinch first place in the West for the Winnipeg Seabears in their first season. All right, we've still got a few things to do, including heading out to the uh, the track, but we're going to have a little chat with uh, one of the keepers of the cup coming up right now. Um, we will get to our Cinnaboy Downs picks later on, but we're looking forward to seeing all you folks at the Gold Eyes game tonight. If you missed it, tonight is Winnipeg Sports Talk Night at the ballpark. Busy week for the fish. Uh, yesterday was the Ukrainian night. Tonight's our night. They've got Oktoberfest in July coming up. A nice giveaway on Sunday. Find the promo schedule at goldeyes.com. If you are looking for a last-minute ticket to join us tonight, um, Section D is where we're at tonight. We'll probably be hanging around Craft Beer Corner quite a bit. Come on out and say hi tonight. And looking forward to seeing all of you WSTers. And thanks for the great support of this night. We are going to have some fun this evening. Uh, And we're probably going to have a few little brown jugs, too. Because, of course, Little Brown Jug, proud partner of the Gold Eyes, 1919 available, generic lager available. And, of course, we'll see what they're sipping up at Craft Beer Corner as well. If you're looking for a place for a beer before the game, actually, uh, the Little Brown Jug over on William Avenue, a great spot, beautiful patio that they built at the end of last season. And, of course, all of your favorite Little Brown Jug beers available as well. If you can't pop down to the brewery and taproom, you can get Little Brown Jug wherever they sell great beer. And uh, just before we talk about the cup, 
Big thanks to our friends at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. Fishing season is in full effect right now. We're heading out there in a couple weeks to take in what's always my favorite three days of the year. If you're thinking about an incredible fly-in fishing experience where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg, Aikens Lake is the spot. And as incredible as the world-class fishing is, the only thing better is the world-class hospitality from the Terrens and the Aikens Lake team. Find out more online, booking well into 2024 right now at AikensLake.com and on Twitter at AikensLake. All right, had a great chat with Mark Stone yesterday at his cup celebration. If you missed that, it's earlier on in the program. But we also took advantage of uh, the time out of Breezy Bend yesterday afternoon to hook up with one of the keepers of the cup and find out exactly what it's like behind the scenes on the cup tour in the summer. Uh, here's Mario from the Hall of Fame filling us in on that. Back on Winnipeg Sports Talk with one of the keepers of the cup. We've got Mario from the Hockey Hall of Fame here uh, rolling around with hockey's holy grail for Mark Stone's celebration. Mario, welcome to Winnipeg. I hope you guys are uh, enjoying Manitoba. You're going to be spending a lot of time here this summer. Absolutely. This is a great province and the people around in Manitoba are, fun, are fantastic and we're having such a wonderful time. Uh, I know Kelly McCrimmon started the festivities a little earlier this week. Tell us a little bit about the Cubs travels so far up until uh, Mark's party here at Breezy. Well, you know, with Kelly, I mean, he is such a great human and he knows everybody that's in this province uh, by their names. He knows the grandkids and uh, we've just had a wonderful time. He had a couple of days with it. Um, we've had a few players as well. I, I started up in the Sioux with uh, Michael, and uh, we've had such a great time. Uh, Oak Bank and uh, Brett Howden had a big party, and then uh, Keith Bodley today, uh, Mark Stone's child at home. You, you must see some of the coolest moments that the average hockey fan doesn't. We do. Actually, we, we see a lot of a lot of great things. Mark uh, was uh, earlier in, the, in his old school, and he, we had a great time there, and then we, uh, we're going to a hospital, Children's Hospital tomorrow, which will be uh, wonderful i'm sure it'll be a little bit um you know it's a nice spot it's a nice time and uh, we'll have a great time tonight uh mario i've got to ask you um you know as a longtime hockey fan i think you and most hockey fans to a degree have one of the coolest jobs on the planet tell us a little bit about getting it uh were you always working at the hall of fame how does one become a keeper of the cup. Well, I started volunteering, believe it or not, and a few other of my colleagues started volunteering at the Hockey Hall of Fame Resource Department of the Hockey Hall of Fame. 18,000 square feet of hockey history. Uh, I started traveling around with other trophies and artifacts, and then uh, Phil Pritchard, the vice president and curator of the Hockey Hall of Fame, decided, hey, you know what, do you want to go traveling? And I started, uh, you know, being the cup keeper, one of them, uh, with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, and it's been just a joyous, joyous uh, experience, and there's always a smile on everybody's face, which is uh, terrific. So how much of the off-season, uh, are you uh, on the road with... Uh with the Holy Grail? Well, I'm on the road at least 130 or 140 days a year, and if it's not with the Stanley Cup, it's with other trophies, and, uh, you know, uh, the team has it for 100 days, and I'm uh, with them quite a bit in the summertime, and it's wonderful. Now, uh, you've done this, obviously, going back to the Chicago Cup, so uh, a number of years. Fill us in on some of the coolest places you've ever taken the Stanley Cup. Well, i got to tell you, I mean, Denmark, Sweden, Germany, uh, um, we've been to uh, Moscow a number of times, and I've been as far as Siberia with the Stanley Cup. So the people uh, around the globe, doesn't matter who you are or where you are, there's always a smile on everybody's face. The grandma's happy, uh, the grandfather, the parents, uh, and all the family and friends. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, a couple of the, you know, the non-traditional hockey markets, if you will. What, uh, 
what sort of attention does the Stanley Cup grab, uh, you know, in, in one of those places that maybe hockey isn't a religion like it is in Canada? You know, I tell you, it doesn't matter where you are, there's always a lineup, and there's people everywhere, and thousands and thousands of people. Uh, in Prague, I mean, you're almost being bombarded from, uh, from everybody because they want a, a piece of it. Uh, Mario from the Hockey Hall of Fame with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, just talking about this summer with the Cup. Um, are you guys just going to basically be hanging in Manitoba for a month, or uh, how does that, you guys split it up a little bit? Because there's a lot of dates in this province for uh, this trophy this summer. We're going to take off uh, tomorrow out of Manitoba. We will be coming back for a, a few other players uh, and a scout. Uh, then we're going to uh, Latvia and uh, Sweden, and then we're going back to Manitoba and Vegas for the owner for his day. So, and then we're doing a few other. Uh, spots in Ontario uh, to fulfill the, uh, the the dreams, if you will, for all the rest of the players. Speaking of dreams, could you ever imagine that you would be spending a good portion of every year rolling around with the most coveted trophy in our sport? Not at all. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of fun times we've had. There's a lot of great moments and a lot of great people out there in hockey. And just, you know what, I got to say, to be in your own country and to travel with the Stanley Cup, the you know, the the, the, the holy grail of hockey is, is quite a treat. How many uh, pairs of white gloves do you go through a year? <laughs> quite a bit. They get a little dirty from a few beers in the, in the Stanley Cup and champagne. Uh, so yeah, I'll go through a few, but I use uh, a proper shampoo, uh, shampoo. I clean, clean, keep them nice and clean. Mario, listen, uh, thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the rest of uh, the evening here at Breezy, and uh, I'm sure we'll probably see you again later like on that. this summer like with the Stanley Cup. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Good stuff with uh, Mario, one of the keepers of the cup. Remus, you... Uh, Ever since we were doing the shows back on the old station, you you always loved the keeper of the cup, and Phil would go, Phil Pritchard would go on with Rick every now and then, and uh, you were fired up to talk to those guys last night. Pretty cool uh, job. I mean, we mentioned the archives. Like Joe Pascucci was is working there, and he showed us a tour. Remember, he showed us all those hockey sticks. He pulled out Darren Quint's the Darren Quint stick, stick, and yeah, we'd have Phil Pritchard on all the time. And he talked about how like he saved every like pair of white gloves he ever used and puts them in bags. Um, you know he's a real curator and a preserver of history, Phil Pritchard. And it was a cool story. You know Mario volunteered, and then they said, "Hey, do you want to travel with the trophies? Do you want to travel with the cup?" And uh, what an experience that must be, taking the cup around and seeing what joy uh, that it brings so many people, seeing it, the history. That's on there. So uh, cool that you could catch up uh, with him after, you know, you interviewed Mark Stone yesterday at the great event at Breezy Bend. That was neat. You know what? Scooch would be an amazing, amazing chaperone for the cup. And considering that sort of the way it sounds like things work, you know, doing some volunteering, doing some work at the Hockey Hall of Fame, and then getting the call. Maybe we'll have that. I'll have to get Scooch on coming up in the next little bit, see what he thinks about the bomber season so far. Look ahead to uh, to hockey season. Uh, all right, I am still, I am still livid about last night's Blue Jays game. As we get to the cool bet lines, we had a beautiful partner parlay. Tampa had won, Houston had won. We needed the Jays seven three in the ninth inning, and um, uh you know, I guess it was just a, a, a bullpen. <laughs> I guess it was just a bullpen situation, Reem, because um, 
what's his name goes in there for the for the Jays cannot get an out, and I mean they just he he just kept on struggling, and they just basically let him finish it up until they ended up going. And poor Mitch White, Mitch White comes in and takes the loss, um, but Eric Swanson came in for an inning, and you know gave up five hits, four runs, four earned runs. That would have been such a big win for the Blue Jays. They'd get to 12 games above 500 and to open up a series after going one of three against Seattle and winning two in a row against the powerhouse Dodgers would have been huge, but it it just was not meant to be, apparently. Yeah, I thought the Jays won. I I shut it off. I saw Danny Jansen homered. He's so clutch, so so great. And you said to me, unfortunately, Danny Jansen doesn't, uh, doesn't pitch, and Look, they had a chance in the top of the 10th to score, who was a Bo Bichette with the head. And, uh, I mean, how about Mookie Betts? Don't run on that guy. Us guns, guns a guy down at the plate. And the Jays there, you know, they just lost two in Seattle. They're in a total dogfight here in the East. Can't be giving away games like that. But the Dodgers, man, they're hot. Uh, Freddie Freeman homering again early. Uh, you know, the first 58-42, they're so good. The Dodgers, but the Jays no slouch. They what? They got two less, two less wins. Now they played a couple, uh, played a couple more games, I guess. But still, I mean, it's pretty even. This has been a great series and great. If you love staying up late, watching ball has. Although, been you know, some of us did go to bed after that Danny Jansen homer, assuming, assuming it was done seven four. Not me, because I knew that it it ain't over till it's over and it certainly wasn't last night eric swanson just uh, not able to get the job done and i'm like going where the hell is romero uh but i guess they'd said that they weren't gonna they weren't going to the pen they were gonna let him finish the uh, the inning and unfortunately that cost the jays a win um but as far as tonight goes jays and royals actually i guess this is an afternoon game this is coming up in just a few minutes 10 minutes from right now getaway day in L.A., Jays plus 118, Dodgers minus 130, and uh, oh, Kikuchi's back. Tony Gonsolin on the uh, hill for the uh, for the uh, the Dodgers. I may have to back my guy Kikuchi. <clears throat> Got a nice start in Seattle, just wasn't able to get it done. CFL lines, Hamilton three and a half point underdogs in Ottawa for tomorrow's uh, weekly kickoff game. Friday night, Argos 10-point favorites over the Riders at home at BMO. BC, eight-and-a-half-point faves in Edmonton to take on the Elks on Saturday night. And the Calgary Stampeders in Montreal to take on the Alouettes. Alouettes, minus 2.5. And tonight in the World Cup, USA is going at it. They're minus 141 favorites against the Netherlands. And again, big win for Canada earlier today, Canada is going to take on Australia. And I'll confirm this, but I believe it is early on Monday morning, 5 a.m. our time. Um, how did you do at the track last night? Anything to show for our wages? No, no, I'm cold. I lost. I don't think I've won, I, I don't think I've won this week. So I'm going to have to. No, I haven't won this, the, this week. It's been bad, really bad. So. I'm going to try to make it up tonight, just going, keeping it simple, straight winners, and hopefully it works out. You know, interesting, like it. interesting week in the CFL. Has, uh, first game is actually Friday, and there's a doubleheader Saturday. So 
I know games are still going on, even oh, if the Bombers no aren't Thursday playing. game. Okay. No Thursdays, so. though. There was a trade today, though. Was it Jaguarid Davis going to Calgary? And we know he's been in the, what, in the Grey Cup, like, every year. So, yep. watch out. So, Calgary, they're coming for the Bombers now. Watch out for them. What are, anyway. Yeah, let's get on some Calgary futures because yeah. <laughs> Jadarian Davis seems to play everywhere. Anyways, it's all up there. A cool bet for you. We will hit all of the CFL games and crank out another partner parlay, which came through last week at plus 725 on tomorrow's edition of the Lock Shop. All right, Reem, let's uh, get to these races tonight. Um, where uh, Where are you starting? All right, let's bring it up here. HPIbet.com. Got my bets out. I am ready with the pick. Race. I'm starting at race four. I got four, five, six, seven. So let me okay. know. I, I've got one in race number one. Okay. I'm just doing an exacta, a five, three exacta, wit, sweet 16, and favorite light. Favorite. It's got favorite in the name. So yeah, it sounds like a winner to me. Exactly. Um, Done deal. And then we go to race number four. Okay. And I'm actually just betting a winner as well. Uh, do, do, do. What do I have here? I think I meant to bet run, wit, run. Yeah. And I may have bet the wrong one. I feel like you're a run, wit, run guy. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. Five, five on five. Okay. I got... Run, wit, run. I got three. Kato's Lady. I like this. I like the odds. Program selection. Let's go with Kato's Lady. All right, uh, we move on to race number five tonight. Uh, let's see, what do I have in race number five? I am going on number seven mm-hmm. to win Terra Tattoo. Okay, I'm going with Justa Buster. Ooh, uh, Justa like Buster. I don't know if it's a Buster Bar or remember the song uh, No Scrubs by TLC, and she says he's just a Busta. That's why I'm going with Justa Busta. <laughs> All right, race number six. Got a couple triactors popping for this one. All right, three, four, eight. Attaboy Cookie. Hasta la Vista, honey. Oh. And Discovery Peak. This would be a big one if it hit. I'm kind of not taking the top couple of uh, ranked ranked horses in this one. Yeah, you got to take, if you want to, hey, if you want to win, you got to take some, uh, take some long shots. They always say, what do you win when you win? And for me, I keep betting on these. Favorites and losing this week. So you got to throw in the odd long shot. It worked for you last week. You had a big win. I am taking on race six. Go to horse five, Blazing Bow. Like Bo Bichette had a big hit in the 10th inning yesterday. Wasn't, wasn't enough to take the lead as Hustler just discussed. I can hear the pain in your voice. Oh, Huss. I was just texting on the lock shop chain, and I it was like about twelve thirty. I said, "Guys, I'm still not over that game from last night. How the heck did it happen?" You know what would put me in a much better mood though? A win tonight in race number seven on my last bet. A triactor. We're going three nine ten. Margot's girl, Maybella, a favorite mm. of yours. Yes. And Plum Rose, three nine ten one dollar triactor box. That's uh, my final wager for today. I wish that she was Margot's girl. No, I'm not taking Margot's girl. I'm going with Maybella. You know it. Uh, five bucks on Maybella to win. Oh, nice. 
So that's a big race. That's ten horse race in race seven. Although I guess two are scratched. So yeah, there's a couple uh, that's scratch. Eight. But that's we eight. Do have, we do have a, a nice one, and then uh, another eight racer in uh, in race number six. So yes, final day of live racing at the track this week. I'm already making plans to get out there next week with my folks. Really looking forward to that. Um, and of course, if you are staying at home tonight, you can watch the races at the AS Downs YouTube channel. And you can use the hpibet.com website if you want to throw a few sprinkles on the ponies from the comfort of your own home. Um, all right, Reem. Well, listen, fun show today. Huge thanks to Corey and the gang at Breezy Bend and Mark Stone for including us in the Sellies tomorrow. And glad people enjoyed that interview. But now it's all about the ball game tonight. 6.30 first pitch. You know where to find us. Section D and Craft Beer Corner at Shaw Park tonight for a little Gold Eyes action. Yeah, I'm I'm fired up for this. I'm ready to got all the koozies here. Some people did order merch that I'll be delivering to them as well. A couple hats, uh, hoodies, mugs, all that stuff. So I'm looking forward to seeing everyone. Um, you know, seeing some familiar places, meeting some new ones. Uh, this is gonna be fun. I haven't been out to the ballpark for a while, so uh, I think this is gonna be a great night, and hopefully, it becomes like an annual thing for us. So this is exciting. Well, for sure. And I mean, I think we can uh, do it for maybe some of the other games. We were planning on doing a Seabears game at some point, but we've had no issues filling that place so far. Next year, we will definitely do uh, do something like that. But gang, thank you again to everyone that has got a ticket for tonight. We will look forward to seeing you there. We'll have a prize from the Gold Eyes. We'll have a couple other things that we'll be uh, raffling off from, from everyone that uh, bought tickets through Winnipeg Sports Talk Come hungry, come thirsty, and come to have a little fun. Make sure to say hi when you see us at the game. We will be there for first pitch or a little bit beforehand. Craft Beer Corner, left field line, section D. Let's have some fun tonight. And uh, fingers crossed we don't have any weather catastrophes with, uh, I guess, what's potential at some point over the course of tonight. Um, that's going to do it for us. Huge thanks to Mike Taylor, Murata Tesh, Mark Stone, Mario from the Hall of Fame, and the great folks at Breezy for uh, including us yesterday in the Stanley Cup party. We will see you tonight, gang. First pitch is at 6.30. We'll be at the ballpark. Cannot wait for it. And uh, if we won't see you tonight, we'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a great one. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.